Welcome back to another episode of the Mouth of the South podcast. I am your host, Darian Gray. And as the title may suggest, I am the Mouth of the South. And woo the game is over, man. The game is over. And the Saints are 1-0, winning yet another opening week game. I'm surprised. I'm not going to say a lot to you. I did not expect the Saints to win. But before we get into my pre-game projections or my pre-game thoughts. Let's start it off with the quote of the week, and that is, I love it when people doubt me. I felt like that was appropriate because anybody who knows me know that's a Darian Gray Mouth of the South exclusive, all right? Speaking of which, follow me on South Exclusive, underscore Mouth of the South on Instagram. South Exclusive is my Twitter handle. But y'all know, man, if you know me, I love it when people doubt me is a is a phrase that I use probably between probably my junior year of high school, maybe senior year of high school going on until most of my collegiate career, you know. I just don't get to say it as much often or as much now because I don't be around people. But I love it when people doubt me is a phrase that I use before people was even doubting me, okay? Like like J. Cole said, I rap about haters before people was hating me. That's kind of how I was with this phrase, but I felt like it was appropriate because everybody doubted the Saints. Not even doubting. That, was, that, that feels like an understatement. Everybody counted out the Saints in this game. I always knew it was going to be competitive. Don't have me saying I thought it was, uh, I thought we weren't going to win as I didn't think it was going to be a competitive ball game. However, if you were to tell me the final score was 38-3, I wouldn't believe you. I mean, who saw this coming? Not I, not you, probably. I'm, I'm, I can't speak for you, but I doubt that anyone other than Raven Baxter could have seen this coming. That's only because she can see the future. If you would have told me that the game ended in 38-3, I would have said Rodgers and Adams probably exploded. Jameis probably looked a little lost within the offense. And the Saints might have looked overmatched against one of the best teams in the league. However, none of those things are true. Rodgers and Adams were quiet. Adams had five catches for 56 yards. Decent. However, one of those catches was 31 yards. So when you take that out, and that was at the end of the half, when you take that out, now you're looking at four for 25. You like that? I do my quick math with that one. But <laughs> other than that's four for 25. That's a really good game. Rodgers had a 36.8 quarterback rating. 15 completions on 28 attempts, only 133 yards and two interceptions, no touchdowns. Obviously, they only had three points on the board. You would have thought Jameis was lost in the offense, but he looked completely in control of the offense, making great decisions, leading the team down the field for points on five of their first six possessions. And instead of looking overmatched against one of the best teams in the league, the Saints were the ones who looked like one of the best teams in the league. And the Packers were the ones who looked overmatched. And I know it's only one week. You know, I was texting uh, with my boy Chris Rose Voglu, host of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Make sure y'all checking that out. But I'm, I'm texting with him, and it's very early. And I send this uh, gif from the office saying, everybody stay calm. Just stay calm. And I said, I'm not going to overreact. And then we got to a point of the game, and I said, can I overreact now? Can I overreact now? Gladly he gave me the permission. I gave him some overreactions. I, I'd say him. 
I said the Saints look better than the Bucks. And I said Paulson the Debo is cornerback too. Now, the game got a little crazy after that, and he texted me back. I didn't get to get back to him, but sorry, Chris, I called you, so we even. <laughs> but that's how I was feeling. It's only one week. But I'm telling you all those things prior is what I would have thought if you would have told me the result before the action. So let's get into the game, and I was thinking it was going to be competitive. I was talking to Tramel, who came on the episode last week, and I was telling him about what I was looking for. And with the with the amount of uncertainties on the team, especially looking at Paulson Debo having his first start, Marshawn Lattimore uh, was dealing with a knee injury. We didn't know if he was going to be able to go. I think this conversation happened Saturday, maybe Friday night. I don't know. But I said I was looking to see things. I wasn't even worried about win and loss. I was worried about seeing things, somewhat of a moral victory, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I just had things I wanted to be able to grasp. I wanted to see, okay, does Jameis get this offense down? There's no Michael Thomas. Does he get the offense down and does it start flowing at some point? I didn't expect it to flow right away. Paulson Adebo, what does he look like in his first action? He's going to get tested. He's probably going to get some stuff up. He didn't really give up that much. But these are the things that I was looking for. I was looking for progression. So like I'm saying, I knew it was going to be competitive, but I was more so looking for reason to be optimistic, point out things to build on. And I got way more than I can bargain for. So let's get into this game now and starting off with the offense. I don't think I'll be here that long with the guys. I mean, with you guys. But I do want to go over the game real quick. So let's start off with the offense. And Saints scored on five of their first six possessions, like I said. But they also scored on their first three. And that's all three in the first half. They only had three possessions, had an immaculate and dominant time of possession. I think it was like 21-something to 8-something for the, for the Packers. And that goes both ways. So that's not just the offense putting on long drives. That's also the defense getting them out off the field really quickly and getting the offense another chance to get it. See, there was a point where you drive and you drive and they're tired. You can tell the Green Bay team is, is gassed. Then they got to get right back on the field and have another long drive. And those are the last two drives. And I think that the Saints' dominance, and I don't want to call it lethargic, but more so methodical. That's what I want to call it. The Saints' dominant and methodical pace, ironically, is kind of what made the game stay close for so long. So you're only up 17-0. Then you're up 17-3. They get the ball first. You can easily be up only 17-10. And now you got a ball game. But the, the fact of the matter is the Saints dominated that first half. But because the, the possessions only took or took so long, they only had three of them. So I think there was a, a chance that they could get back into the game, but obviously that didn't happen. But it just made the game feel closer, and you couldn't sink in your seat as much, you know. But I thought Peyton called a really aggressive game. I thought he called a really good game. And you look at that third drive, I believe. Yeah, I think we were up 10-0 at the time. Went for it twice on fourth down. And, J and Jawan Johnson was the go-to guy. He had the tight end screen, which I thought was a phenomenal call. I didn't, I didn't like the fourth down calls. I didn't like going for it. Let me say that. I didn't like going for a fourth down either time. Both calls I thought were really good. And Jawan Johnson was the person who was on the receiving end of both of the passes. 
he let he he drew in the uh the lineman, let him go, took the screen and ran up probably five six yards past the, the first down line. Looked good, but cool. That was more so scheme. Then on the second fourth down drive or the second fourth down uh, play, which is on the goal line, the last play of the drive, Jameis had pressure in his face, and he threw it up. Not in a, somebody's over there. But he saw he saw Jawan, and he threw it up, and he had it where he could high point it. And he came down with it. I'm hyped. Everything that could go right is going right right now. I'm super excited at this point. But let's stay, let's stay here on Jawan Johnson and kind of skip time real quick. And take it to his next touchdown because that was his third and final catch, his career high in, uh, in one game. This was a beautiful catch because he was running somewhat of a, uh, I think it was like a corner route, but he had to turn his whole body and readjust. And I think those two touchdowns really show what he is, and that is that he's going to be one of the better red zone targets throughout the season because Mike doesn't score too many touchdowns he's never had 10 in his career um you'll get some to Kamara you'll have some leak outs however you see, you're seeing a guy right now who is a wide receiver who has transitioned to tight end and that helps him in multiple ways first off he's going to have the speed advantage on most of the guys he goes against he's going to be able to body them up he was able to high point the ball because he understands how to do that it was kind of like a basketball uh it was like a rebound and he, he talked about how he was high point. And he didn't want to use basketball references because basketball coach is going to be mad from high school. But that's exactly what it was. It was high point and a rebound. And he showed his ability to do that. He's more athletic than Troutman. His ability to readjust to that ball, it just shows that his athletic traits, I think, really suit him and this team in the red zone. So while Troutman will be in there and he'll get his touches, when it comes to being inside that 20, and more specifically, I think within that 10-yard range, if you're trying to get routes that go more vertical and less coming across and running after, which you would think is kind of different depending on, you know, his more athletic, get the ball in his hand and let him run. But it's the fact that when you're in the end zone, he can go up high and get it. Troutman, I can have him catch it, and if there's enough room, he can run in. So that connection between him and Winston, I think, should only grow. But I think in a red zone is where you will see it fester the most. So while we're here, let's get into Jameis and what I think made him so special. And that's the control. That's the timing that he had with the offense. It was almost masterful. And it seemed like someone who had been there already. And I don't just mean the fact of being on the team, but it seemed like he had played this game already. He had been with the team playing. So it just shows that the words that he was saying about I took this from Drew Brees. I don't want to worry about the decision, not just the result, but why did I make this decision? You could tell that in that year he was there, he was really studying, he was really soaking everything up and learning. He wasn't just there taking it easy, hoping that he would get his chance. He wanted to make sure that when he got his chance, no one else ever got a chance again. And I think step one, at least after game one, step one is 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 showing that you saw that you learned something and he did that that's step one so excuse me but it's apparent of what he did he scrambled for three first downs and I mean every single first down looked better than the last one the first one he's pump faking pump faking pump faking and he drives what well, I'm talking like this basketball term still but he runs and he gets the first down the next one he he, he turns up and he runs again then the last one 
he just took a long arc and just ran. And he ended up running the guy over, throwing a shoulder into him. And it's like, this guy is looking good. Boy, was scooting, scooting. You know? So seeing those things out of him, and I've always said he had better legs than, than people give him credit for. But I think he might even have better legs than I gave him credit for. But I knew he could move. But on that last one, where he just ran a big arc and just, he looked like he was pushing. Y'all told me Taysom was the running quarterback. I can't tell. <laughs> but later on, he used those legs that he had been showing he was scrambling with and being effective with, and it drew a linebacker. I think I think that was the defender. I think it was a linebacker up. Boom. Touchdown to uh, Chris Hogan, which resulted in me, in me making a terrible Chris Hogan, Hawk Hogan joke on Twitter. But, hey, every joke can't be a hit. So it just showed that he showed his ability early in the game, and then he was able to let it build up, build up, and bait them later in the game for a touchdown pass. Then as the announcers were talking about how effective he was, but he wasn't lighting it up, he threw an electrifying 55-yard touchdown pass to Deontay Harris, and with that he showed every single thing that you could want from him. He showed down-to-down -down control, and pacing within the offense. He showed his ability to throw the deep ball, which is what everybody loved and was looking for post-Breeze. But then he also showed on-the-fly playmaking, that when things aren't going right, he can make them okay. And that was him with his scrambling. So now let's get into this offensive line. They had no sacks. At no point did they allow a sack. They were absolutely dominant on the offensive line. They had like 112 rushing yards, I think, early in the second. This offensive line, and I tell you, Eric McCoy went out in the first in the first drive. But if you didn't see it happen, you wouldn't have known it happened. Because there was at no point that you were watching the Saints game, and you said, who missed that block? Who did that? Let me see the replay. Who, who, who messed up? That never happened. And I think that that's what's so impressive is that McCoy went down and you still did that. Yes, I know the Saints have one of the best lines in the NFL, arguably the best line. But when you lose a player like McCoy and now you have to shift Ruiz over to center, yes, he was drafted um, with the thought of him maybe being a center, but he has never played it in the NFL. He's, and he specifically focused so much on becoming a guard this offseason. Maybe old habits die hard, but he's never done it in the league. Even guys who come out of college and play one position their whole life have some rookie mistakes. They mess up, but not in his first start. Then you have Calvin Throckmorton, who a lot of people aren't even, aren't, aren't even on the radar. So when you're talking about the Saints having this great offensive line top in the league, that's with McCoy. Not with Ruiz at center and Throckmorton at guard. But you could not tell, and they played the same way. They played up to the hype when they were down in health and talent. And I think that's what makes the offensive line's performance so impressive. You know, the way they run blocked, handle stunts on pass blocks, there was no weak links, and I was impressed with that. I think the confidence overall as we, as we go into the defense, the confidence as a whole just kind of shows with this team. On offense, it's shown. It's, it's this certain swagger here, and I feel like it comes from the leaders. Sean Payton, the leader of all leaders, you see the confidence. He's going for it on fourth and seven. You know, you have a third and 15 situation. He runs a, uh, a, a he runs the ball, gets it to a fourth and seven. You think it may be going to punt it. He does a tight end screen. 
And it's not that you need him to go for it on fourth down to show he's confident. Sean Payton has a swagger to him. It's known. It's clear. Y'all are here. You know what it is. Alvin Kamara said they always come in expecting to be the. I'll let you. I'll let you figure out what he said because I ain't gonna say it. But you know what it. You know what word it is. Armstead doesn't lack confidence. Those are your offensive leaders. And I think Jameis, in a way, a little different than everybody else. He's not braggadocious. However, I think he exudes this certain level of confidence, this aura of confidence, just different than AK. AK is not, he's not going to come out and say we expect to be this. You know, AK is more braggadocious, more in your face with it. I think that there's a quiet confidence about Jameis and what he feels like he is and what this team can be. Then you look at the defense. Demario spoke about these guys having the same guys in the room for about four years. Lattimore has been there. Marcus Williams has been there. Um, Cam Jordan has been there. He's been there. And then Malcolm Jenkins is a guy who, when you put him into a locker room, though he may not have been there for all this time, it kind of feels like he has been. So I get what he's saying where you have all these guys who have been consistent players. P.J. Williams, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's been there. Maybe not for four years, but this is third year in the league. Marcus Davenport is going to his fourth year in the league. I know David Onyemande wasn't there, but you have these amount of guys, and they've been talking about how they've been clicking really early in camp, earlier than usual, so maybe this slump that you usually see the defense go through, you won't see it. But that confidence is there when you have the same guys in the locker room and you've been a top unit for these amount of years. That confidence breeds because you're continuously rolling over people. So I, I think that that confidence is shown, and it's shown in how they play. So let's get into the defense. Aaron Rodgers really struggled today. But he didn't just have an off day. I've seen this question posed of, was Rodgers rusty? Or is the Packers offense just not as good as they were last year? I'm going to give a third answer to that. Because it's none of the above. How about the Saints defense is still a top unit? They were a top unit last year. Losing Janoris Jenkins is a big blow. However, it is not out of the realm of possibility that the Saints defense is just good again. And I think that's what it was. You know, in tennis, there's this thing called unforced errors. And that's basically when you messed up independent of your opposition. And there were not that many for me within Green Bay's game today. The Saints were forcing a lot of their errors. And that doesn't mean anything like... Rodgers couldn't have been better or whatnot, but all it means is that the fact that he was struggling was because of something the Saints did. So when you're having conversations about it, it's not like Rodgers is just throwing against air. He's having pressure on him consistently. Pressure, pressure, pressure. He was forced into those struggles. So let's talk about the unit that forced him there. And like I said, it was consistent pressure all game long, and he never was able to get completely comfortable. Cam tweeted it out, and he pointed it out in his post game. I think that they got a lot of pressure, but they didn't get a lot of sacks. Ironically, Davenport was the only person who brought down Aaron Rodgers. And this is a guy who's known for getting a lot of pressures and no sacks. So I thought it was really impressive, and Rodgers is not an easy person to sack. He's not an easy person to rattle, but he looked rattled. He looked that way because they had him fighting. He's not running for his life. He's not that guy. However... 
you could tell he was trying to move around, get balls out quickly. But that Saints defense is fast now. In addition to the pressure, that Saints defense is fast. I tweeted it out a couple of times, but the Saints, the Saints guarded this tight end leak play really well. It was like a tight end rollout, tight end leak, whatever you want to call it, where basically it's a play action, the tight end leaks out behind the offensive line and kind of just veers into the flat. The Saints, they struggled against that last year, specifically against the Green Bay Packers. Robert Tanyan had a lot of success in that play. I think even Sternberger had some success in that play. So to see them successfully defend it, it's like, oh my God, I'll never get tired of talking about them defending this because it's impressive every single time. So the speed was just apparent. However, I want to talk about the turnovers because saying turnovers change the game, that's easy. You know, you win a turnover battle, you're going to win. You've heard those cliches. However, it's not just the fact that they had turnovers, it's when they happened. And they were back-to-back. Those are the two turnovers. They were back-to-back, but they were damning. They were really damning in how it happened. So let's paint the situation because we talked about the pressure and the chaos that, it, that ensued from it and how it forced We're using that word right now because it's important how the Saints forced Aaron Rodgers to mess up. So paint the situation. The Saints are up 17-0. The Packers get a good pass to Devontae Adams, and it helps them get three points on the board at the end of the first half. They're looking to continue the momentum and maybe bring it to only a seven-point ball game. And now now we really got a game. You seven points at the top of the second half. So they're driving. And to me, this is their first real drive because they got down there with that catch, but it was only like seven seconds, I believe, on the clock. You didn't really have much time. You got to take one shot to the end zone. It wasn't there, so you just threw it away. But that's what was left after that catch. So this was their first real drive, and they got it all the way down to the Saints' nine. Now you got to breathe in a little heavy, and the pressure comes. And he throws to Devontae Adams. Always going to the, uh, go to Devontae Adams. And, ironically, Marshawn Lattimore, Lattimore is out. He's in, he's, in the, uh, he's in the back getting wrapped up on the thumb. We'll talk about that later. But he's out. Devontae Adams is on, is on Paulson Devo. He threw, a, he threw a slant to him earlier in the drive. They called it P.I. I didn't really think it was P.I. I thought it was really good coverage. I think they were just like, damn, ain't no way this Boston Debo rookie guy out of Stanford is supposed to be covering the best receiver in the league. Nah, we got to throw a flag on that. That don't even make no sense. Obviously, he got to be grabbing him if that's the case, right? He wasn't, but whatever. And he's not the best receiver in the league. Second best receiver in the league. Only to that boy, Mike Thomas. Um, but he's throwing that pass to Devontae Adams. Boston Devo's trailing a little bit. He's not beat terribly, but he's trailing a little bit. Marcus Williams is over the top, so I think that Marcus Williams stops him. It's only second down, so I think he stops him anyway. He doesn't get a touchdown. However, the pressure forced him to throw a bad pass right there to Paulson Debo, and he's ready to get his first interception in his first game on Aaron Rodgers. His first red zone interception in almost two years since week six of 2019. And he returns it down there. So you finally get the chance to get in there. You get your best drive of the game only to throw a red zone interception from a quarterback who does not do that. All right, that's the picture. The Saints don't do much with it. So they punt it back. 
and the Blake Gillikin hype is real. And he pins them at the five-yard line after a great stop by Ty Montgomery. So now on third down, third and seven, Aaron Rodgers heaves the ball. Aaron Rodgers heaves the ball up. And Marcus Williams picks it with fantastic range. I'm talking about from hash to hash. And I look at it from the over-the-top angle. And yes, Rodgers threw a bad pass. However, however, the, the way that Williams had tracked the ball and he, his range, I think he was picking that ball off regardless. Because he was in position to pick it off. But he threw it so deep that even though Chauncey Garner-Johnson already had great coverage on the receiver, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, I believe, it was thrown so poorly that Williams was able to catch it with room. So the overthrow played a part in allowing the return more so than the interception itself, in my opinion. But this is the picture. It's still 17-3. The Saints just got stopped for the first time. Your defense hadn't stopped them all game. They give you the ball back. Yes, you have to drive down 95 yards. However, now you have a chance to go put the game back in reach again, something you didn't do last time. You got all those yards, but you're going to get intercepted. So now you have another chance. And what did you do? You throw another interception. And from that point, the Saints never look back. At no point do the Saints look back. So I think those two interceptions were damning. And, hey, you see I ain't talked much about Devontae Adams. That's because Marshawn Lattimore with a bad knee came out of halftime, missed the series, had a bad thumb, got to get thumb surgery. He's going to be week to week. And the dude played his butt off. And there's a reason he just got that contract extension. Games like this show why Lattimore gets the money that he just got. And I've been hard on my no, but I also feel like I'm fair. So something to build on is you got to get open more with your wide receivers. Deontay Harris had the most catches by a wide receiver with only two. And that's a problem because last year you're talking about people couldn't uncover. It was an issue. And if that continues, it's going to be another issue. You know, they say the rising tide lifts all boats type of situation. You can see that happening with Michael Thomas coming back. But I don't want to wait four or five games to have to get to that. So Marquez, all the hype we gave him in the, in the preseason, I'm not going to say it's unjustified and hop off the uh, train like that, but you have to be better than one catch at the beginning of the game. So that's just something to work on going forward. And this game, to me, kind of felt like the Bucks game from last year, the second one. In that game, not the opening game, but the second one. In that game, it felt like the Saints were majority underdogs. And in this game, the Saints were unanimously favored to lose the game. The Bucks were coming off of dominating, ironically, the Packers team three weeks prior. You know, they had a kind of a dust-up against the Giants, I believe, the week before, but they were ready to ascend into the NFC's elite. Now Green Bay is coming off of this is the last dance. Aaron Rodgers going to win a going to win a Super Bowl, Michael Jordan style. They were just in the conference championship. They have this really good squad, and both teams lost to the Saints. And I think it was somewhat of a statement for the Saints in 2020. Right now, the talk is more so about Aaron Rodgers and what's wrong with the Packers. But I think easily you could see this as a statement win for the Saints when we look back at the season. So. That doesn't mean the Packers can't bounce back because the Bucs went on and win the Super Bowl, for God's sake. So when I'm just looking at it, the situations and the odds kind of being stacked against the Saints in a way, 
those things are similar and they kind of remind me of each other. So before we get out of here, I want to get into my game balls. And you got to give it to Jameis because I don't care if you threw for 140 yards, the least amount of yards in NFL history by a quarterback who threw five touchdowns. You threw five touchdowns. You know, Booker T, five time, five time, five time, five time, five time touchdown thrower in your debut. That earns you a game ball, period. Don't matter. Now, I want to get into Calvin Throckmorton and Cesar Ruiz. And I know you're supposed to give the game ball to like one guy, but these guys, they're, they're a package. I almost want to give it to the right side of the line, but specifically these two guys. Because when Eric McCoy went out, the team didn't miss a beat. Ruiz, like I said, has never played center in the league. Throckmorton hasn't played in the league at all. But at no point did you feel like either was a liability. Ruiz barely even got any practice snaps in. I watched both of them handle themselves with and without help in the run and the pass game. And it's the reason that Jameis had time to sit back there and survey the field. There was a play when it felt like nobody was open because nobody got thrown to, but absolutely nobody got pressure to him. It was at a point where Jameis threw the ball away, but there was still no pressure on him. He could have sat back there for another two seconds and looked around before somebody got to him and forced him to throw the ball away. But I still think it was a good decision. So shout out to him for making good decisions during this game as well. He spoke about that again. I really do believe what Jameis is saying. I really think he took it to heart. I think he really is changing his decision making. But this ain't about him. The first game ball was about him. This is about Calvin Throckmorton and Cesar Ruiz. Ruiz came in and he played great uh helping out McCoy after well helping out for the McCoy injury and Throckmorton came in and he played like the guy that people were excited about coming into camp last year now for the last game ball I gotta give it to my guy Paulson Adebo and Marshawn Lattimore the cornerback so one game ball is going to Jameis Winston one game ball is given to the interior offensive line specifically Calvin Throckmorton and Cesar Ruiz and this one is going to the cornerbacks because I be cheating all right, I be cheating. So I'm going to give these game balls to two people because they deserve it and they're grouped together. I could have just gave five game balls, but that's not as fun. I got to explain each guy one by one, not my style. But Calvin, excuse me, uh, Marshawn Lattimore against, against Devontae Adams played a phenomenal game going against one of the best in the business and more than handled his own. And I almost didn't want to give him the game ball because he got this big time extension Second, second highest paid cornerback in the NFL right now with the highest guaranteed dollars. And we'll find out more about that contract as it goes on and see how it helps. Maybe I'm, I'm assuming it'll probably be a little bit backloaded maybe in the second, third year to allow maybe a Marcus Williams deal, maybe a Teron Armstead deal, maybe a Jameis Winston deal. <laughs> There's a lot of people who need to get paid next year, so I think it might be backloaded when the cap is supposed to go up. But... When you play like that, man, you deserve a game ball and your extension. And then Paulson Adebo, I went on about him earlier. This is a guy who I was a fan of before the draft. I was a fan of when we drafted him. And I wonder that if the if the Saints waited four days, five days to make that Bradley Roby trade, after today's game and seeing what, Ro, what, uh, what Adebo did, would they make the same move? That would be interesting. You traded for Roby this week, but if you waited four more days and you were able to see Paulson Adebo play against Aaron Rodgers and defend a couple of passes against Devontae Adams, specifically that one on the slant, some people think it was pass interference. I personally don't. I think it was just good coverage. And he got tested again 
against other receivers, would you still make that move? That's a curious question because I think he played that well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Maybe Lattimore has to miss some time with his uh, thumb injury. And maybe you'll see Roby and Adebo on the field together and you'll get a better look of what he is. But I had so much faith in this guy that on my last podcast, I mentioned that Roby has an out in his contract after this year. I think it was important to mention. So Adebo, the show never seemed too big for him. I really like this guy. Um, he was always there. A guy slipped, Rodgers threw it. But even when uh, Vaudez Scantlin slipped, Adebo was still there. It didn't matter. But that is your game recap. The Saints knocked off the Packers 38-3 in a complete unforeseen domination. There's not many more words I can say. Now it's on to look towards Carolina. And I got a message. Dez, my brother, Dez Yules. We've been cool ever since we met on that spot on sports draft stream. I never held it against you that you rocked the blue and black. I never did. You my guy, man. Always will be. But starting Tuesday, nah. Starting, starting right after the Raiders and Ravens play on Monday Night Football. As soon as that game hit the triple zeros, you the enemy, man. Because that's just how it's got to be. Saints, Panthers this week, but I suggest we put that aside. And for 30 minutes to an hour, you come on the podcast, we talk Saints, we talk Panthers, y'all just knocked off the Jets, we both 1-0. For 30 minutes to an hour, but after that time's up, the treaty is up too. Me, you, this is my invitation to you. Long way of saying that. Come on to the Mouth of the South podcast. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk the trash and do it like we do every single time that these two teams match up. But y'all know the drill to the next time y'all hear me. It's been Darian Gray, the Mouth of the South, running back beneath. Blessed.